Hey fam, what's up? Welcome to the 16th episode of the Damn Good Podcast. My guest today is none other than Kashmir. I don't need to introduce him. Everyone knows him. Everyone's using his samples. Everyone heard like a G6 or one of the many hits he produced over the last 15 years. Uh, quick heads up, we record this podcast probably around 4.30 in the morning. And I was pretty drunk at this point because I celebrate my mother's birthday. And on top of that, I didn't have access to my microphone, which I'm talking into right now. So the audio is going to be not the best, but the content is top notch. I did my best to clean out and pull out the best I could from the Zoom audio, which is, by the way, horrible. The Zoom codec is even worse than the Skype one. Anyways, the talk that we had was awesome. So I wish everyone a nice listening session. And without further ado, please welcome Kashmir. You're listening to The Damn Good Podcast with Edward Quartz, the go-to resource to help you navigate the murky waters of the new music business. I I really loved Final... We were talking about this before, but I love Final Fantasy VII was my favorite game. And I thought that meant that I liked JRPGs. But what I found out is that you Final like Fantasy that is a lot... I liked this one particularly. <laughs> Even the other installments in the final fantasy series like the next one was okay eight was okay for me nine lost me a bit because it went back to medieval magic kind of vibe and i realized that seven was so unique because it was sort of blade runner based Mm -hmm. it was like dystopian future cyberpunk yeah it yeah exactly that's this cyberpunk thing and so the other games that really appealed to me were Fallout, the original Fallouts. Do you remember these, the 2D ones? Yeah, definitely. Where you click on characters and you, they, they, you had a lot of dialogue options and then that would influence you know, the outcome of uh, yeah. what happened. Um, I loved those games in uh, yeah, Final Fantasy also. I tried to get into the 3D Fallout, but it, I don't know. I guess I'm just like too nostalgic. I like the old <laughs> Yeah. Fallout New, New Vegas was good, honestly. It was a good one, huh? That was a good one. I haven't played Fallout 4, um, but like New Vegas was, was a good one. Are you a fan of uh, Ghost in the Shell? Have you ever seen that, the anime? Yeah, I, I did. I, uh, it just, my friend Anthony's really into it, so he showed me. It just didn't really stick with me. You like Ghost in the Shell? Though? I love it. It's like one of my favorites. Ghost in the Shell, Akira. Akira, that one's big. I watched that one when I was young too. I remember liking it when I was young, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't stick with the anime as much. It's sometimes <laughs> it's just the acting that uh, throws me off. Even in the new Final Fantasy VII remake, some of the acting just I can't do. I I understand that you have to accept it's a different way of acting. It's kind of over the top, but it's a bit of a turn off, you know. In context to twenty twenty. Like you have to think about the, the target group. They're not making it for us only, like not only for the OGs. They're also making yeah. it for like a new target group for like the 14, 15, 16 year old right now. Oh, yeah, to- no, I like that. I just think, yeah. I think young people these days are probably acting older than ever. So I don't think you're necessarily appealing to them with overly childish characters also. Yeah, know? but that's like, that's anime. Yeah, that's right. That's anime. Yeah, that's anime. That, that's always it's, like... It's kind of demeaning to women, honestly. Like, the way that I imagine Tifa and Aerith 
was had a little bit more spice and badass. Right. And, and right. At least where I'm at in the story now, super cutesy and uh, and you know, women just don't act like that. Women are people, and uh, yeah. not at all. Yeah. But, but I guess like they they think about the target audience, like hey, like males are gonna play predominantly, and then like they need like some you know. Waifu, waifu character. <laughs> Is it playing to the fantasy of males, of dorky male gamers? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. So. Uh, so. So, man, how do these interviews usually go? What do you like to talk about? Well, usually, like, the interviews are for musicians and artists um, after they produce their music. So we rarely talk about, like, production techniques, VSCs, and all of that stuff, because that's, you know... That's that's the stuff you always talk about it. I like to talk about what happens afterwards, like the promotional part, the music business part, the the branding part, all of that stuff is important. Like I don't have a script, I don't have like right. predefined questions, but I like to talk about like the the way to make it in the music industry. And that sounds a little bit, you know, over the top. It's it's just what happens after you've done the song. And then, yeah. you know. Especially, I like to interview people who are, you know, in the music industry who, quote unquote, made it or on the process of making it yeah. uh, like you are. You have lots of experience on a stage touring. You got like the, the number one records as well. So, you know, interviewing you, just giving a little bit of context of your experience. That, that's what's making those, those podcast episodes 100%. Yeah, I would say there's been three stages and I, I may have experienced these stages multiple times, right? Because I did the cataracts before I started Kashmir. And then as Kashmir, it was like a whole nother journey, a whole nother story to embark on. So uh, I th- I'd say the three stages are nobody gives a shit about you. You're absolute nothing. You know, no one's heard of you. No one cares about you. You try to play your music for your friends. They think, you know, whatever, you're just my little friend who makes music. They don't take you seriously. And then the second phase is where uh, you you do something right. You have some song that everyone likes and everyone pay, starts paying attention to you in that moment. Uh, and you have the opportunity there to really capitalize and make a career out of it or to be someone that just had one little blip and that was the end of you. And then the next stage is if you do well with stage two, you, you do multiple songs that people like, then you, you enter this stage where you have to keep it up and you have to accept that to some extent, you know, the, the biggest triumphs that you've had, you know, may have already happened and to still stay excited about it. And sometimes I feel like I'm in that stage now where, you know, like, coming up as Kashmir and having all the buzz uh, and, you know, just every song it felt like was so exciting because it was making such a noticeable impact and a noticeable increase on the fans that I had. And then it levels out and you reach a point where, okay, you got a good fan base. People generally know your name. And, you know, the, the sort of buzz that you got that like, you know, the newcomer buzz that it, you're not a newcomer anymore. So you have to find ways to stay excited and, and sort of keep it. And with the cataracts, I experienced that also. I mean, 
No one gave a shit. But that was a much longer period of no one giving a shit. I mean, when I started as a cataract, we were in high school, me and my friend David, you know, years and years, went to college for a year, came back from college. You know, it was probably like four or five years of us going at it before even a little sign that, you know, it, it anybody cared about it. Um, and then once we got it, it was strange for the cataracts. Like we would get a little bit of success, but we were successful for producing like a G6 and writing like a G6. It was more success in the sense that the people in the industry knew that we were important and that we had been responsible for this song, but we were also just featured on the song. And so the whole process with the cataracts was a bit more awkward and sort of, you know, a few people know, but isn't that song really by the Far East Movement guys? You know, isn't that <laughs> not really? I thought that's how the cataracts. So right. it, was, it was like sort of stumbling through different successes that were really big for us. But when it came, when that stopped and when I started Kashmir, a thing happened much more quickly and, uh, and efficiently because I had a, a very clear idea of what I wanted to do with Kashmir. So things, things progressed at a much more consistent pace where it was just less clumsy because all of the clumsy shit and mistakes I really learned the first time with the cataract. And sometimes I can't believe when people get it right the first time. Like right. I, had to, I had to learn everything and make all the mistakes my first time with the cataracts to really know how I'd want to handle it when I did Kashmir. I feel like you're underestimating the success because for me, like a G6, it was a huge thing. Like I was probably in the ninth or eighth grade. As soon as we heard it, that was the shit for like two and a half months, probably, or three. It months. was definitely a big song and it was definitely, it changed my life. Um, I mean, I was able to buy a house with that song and um, it was huge. Don't get me wrong. I just mean in terms of establishing the cataracts as a name. It wasn't like the same way that I've built a fan base as Kashmir. And and I and uh, like it's very clear who I am and the music I make and the sound and my relationship with my fans is a lot more clear than I think it was for the cataracts where we produced some really big songs, you know, some for us, some for Dev, the singer on G6, and, mm -hmm. and, and of course, like a G6 for the party movement. It was just a little bit more disjointed and... Um, but there's a context to it. First of all, yeah. the, the social networks weren't as, as developed as they are right now. Yeah. So, like, if you think about Timbaland and Scott Storch... A lot, all those guys back then that weren't as close to their fans as they are right now, because even Timbaland and those guys, they have to be very close to their fan base right now, as you are as Kashmir, as I am as well. Um, that's one thing. And then as the Cataracts, you, you, even, you didn't even have the, the goal to be like, you know, hey, we're as the Cataracts, we need to be close to our fans as like, quote unquote, artists or producers who are like, You know? Well, no, but that's the thing is that we were really artists. Before we started producing for other people, we were artists first. So, yeah, so that, that was important to us. And we did play shows. It just, it was, uh, just trust me when I tell you, it was just more discombobulated, 
like the messaging to the fans, the way that we spent our time, we stopped spending as much time making music for ourselves. And that's a thing. That's a big turning point when you decide to only make music for yourself. If you're a producer, like to, to, in order to really find success at it, I think you've got to make that decision mm-hmm. to stop uh, producing for others. And, and a lot of the success financial and otherwise that we're having came from producing for other people. So, you know, it's like, it's like the old cliche that more money, more problems. Well, right. More, more money, definitely more confusion and even internal confusion because you, you know, like even now when I get uh, offers to play shows and go to other countries, go overseas to play shows, the toll that that takes on you in terms of your time and your energy uh, and contrasting that with the time that you want to spend making the music, it can be very difficult to make the right decision. On one hand, you want to make new music. That's why you got into this. That's what's most important to you. And on the other hand, money. And if and you want to strike while the iron's hot. And maybe in two years, the whole EDM bubble will have just really popped. And you'll have spent all that time making new songs. That, and for what? You should have you should have been out there doing the shows and right. and um, you know making your living that way. And uh, so it's it's hard to decide between and of course also playing shows is a huge rush and it's a huge high um but uh yeah so there's a lot of factors and it can become difficult to trust your own instincts once money in, is involved right that's what i like feel i am right now yeah like that's where um because my main income comes from producing for other people so yeah. like taking on clients from all over the world they pay me like a good chunk of money and i produce like good songs for them in my style yeah. but then i forget to work on my own music and just kind of develop for it because honestly for now being an artist it's not it's not a priority but it is something that i want to do long term kind of develop myself more kind of be like the go-to guy for the funk sound quote-unquote and like work like charlie puth and bruno mars long term at least yeah. but then i need to you know spend the time and develop myself in that regard not only produce for people um, all the time and kind of make the money, but it's, it's a balance, like, because I need to get my bills paid. Of course, I need to invest in myself, but I also need to invest myself in terms of knowledge and developing my sound. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say that making music for other people is a great way to learn how you would do it for yourself. You know, like if this was my project, I would have used the best of this and the best of that and the best of, you know, and, and so it is a good way to learn. And, and also, when you're making music for other people, the objective is much more clear. Sometimes when you're making music for yourself, it's so open-ended that it can paralyze you. You can make absolutely anything. When somebody has a project for you, you know, they usually have something in mind that they're looking for, and uh, it, it's, it's much more limited in its scope. And so... You know, sometimes it's fun to work within certain parameters. Within certain right, and, and I like it. I love it. Like, I love yeah. re- remixing stuff. Like, when you reach out to me because yeah. of the remix and other people, remix is very fun, especially if, like, people come to me and like, hey, I love your style. Do whatever the fuck you want. I'm just giving you the acapella or, like, the stamps of the song. Just remix it. Or just produce yeah. a song that sounds like you with my lyrics. I love that. That's 100% yeah. like my, my thing. 
And I love developing artists as well, like developing artists, like giving them tips, giving, helping them put up a, a promotion thing for the song, whatever. That's fun. You like that, huh? So what do you think are the keys to developing artists? Finding out what they, what they really want, like their goals. And usually yeah. if artists come to me, they're like, you ask them what they want and they give you a number of things. And that's not really what they want because like they, they want to say like, Hey, I want a great song. I want to sound like this. I want this. I'm like, this is not what you want really. Like what you want is proving your parents wrong <laughs> or like right. making the income long-term the music business or like finding your own sound to, to like express yourself authentically. That's what you really want. You don't want a good, like, of course you want a good song or like a good mix. But honestly, what you want long term is making your income off of money, uh, off of music, proving your parents wrong, maybe, or finding your identity musically. And that's what I try to figure out, like by asking them questions, what they really want, kind of figure out quote unquote their sound, combining that with my skill set, and providing that to their target audience. I think proving the parents wrong or impressing your parents, depending on your parents. Um, yeah, I mean, I that's, that's, that's very common. Yeah, that's very common. I mean, that's, that's like a superficial goal, but it's part, like it was part for me in the beginning. It's part, part of like the game for lots of artists right now. Um, it might be a little bit superficial. There's a deeper, um, self-confidence issue there, but I don't know, you know, you just deal with it, overcome it and go on doing other things. Of course. I mean, I, I think that it's there's a little bit of that in all of us i think being an artist well in order to be a successful artist you usually need something to say you know like some people just want to be among the ranks of the other known producers or other artists they just want their name to be up there with them but they're less concerned with having something distinct to say right that other people aren't saying being an artist is really is about having some message that or some thing that you want to present in the climate of music right now that you feel doesn't exist. So you look at it and you say, you know, I just think no one's doing this and this would be really cool. Starting from that point, at first you might not be very good, but at least you're working towards something unique. You know, that's a mentality thing. Um, Some people are just naturally have, don't have a mentality of saying things that are, uh, you know, not normal. You know, like they just don't have a proclivity. They just don't have the natural instinct to say things that are um, maybe contrarian, sort of contrary to what people, I'm not trying to say like, oh, artists need to be badasses or something, but some people just don't have it in them really, you know, to, to say everyone else is this, but right. I find this interesting. Right. And I find it so interesting that I'd be willing to dedicate hours and hours to it uh, just, just to materialize something that uh, reflects what I hear in my head, what my imagination's telling me. Mm-hmm. Some people will just get too exhausted in that process. They'll see, they'll work on something, but they see what everyone else is doing and they'll say, well, what am I doing? I'm making something different, whatever it is. Like you make funk stuff, right? Right. Somebody, a weaker person might say, oh, look, I'm making this funk shit, but no one likes this funk shit or or whatever. But 
you're much better off being the kind of artist who does what they love and that doesn't change. And when the sound or the trend comes to funk, then they'll be ready for it. I want to be for myself, the funk guy, the go-to guy for funk overall, just because I love it so much. Like I, w- I would be, I, because I did, like people would come to me and say like, hey, can you produce this Chainsmokers joint for me? Or like, can you produce this Justin Bieber joint for me? I'm like, yeah, I can do it. But then I would do it, even take the money, but I wouldn't feel content at all. Like, I wouldn't feel happy producing it just because it's like very formulaic and I, I don't feel it in my soul because when I produce funk, it's like, the stuff that I enjoy and, and the final product, quote unquote, is turning out way better because I really enjoy producing it. Right. Yeah, you have so fun. I think you could always share when someone has fun making a song. You can definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But let me say, like, here's the problem. Or like, for myself, I had for a long time this problem of where I would compare myself to people on Instagram, to other producers who are like better than me quote-unquote better than me. And I would like, I would have the desire to be on the level where like the most important guys for myself, like I have producers that I look up to, like you're one of them or like other guys. I would have the need for you and other people to respect me. And then I would feel like quote-unquote happy. Like I have this, this rule for myself, like, hey, I need to be on this level and for those guys to respect me in the industry, and then I would feel happy, quote unquote. Um, and this is a self-confidence issue, largely. I would have that for a long time. We're like, hey, if those guys don't respect me, I'm, I'm, I'm not worth anything. I'm, I'm like bullshit. Like I'm, I'm not like a real, I'm like, I'm not the funk lord. I'm not the Edward Chords. I'm not, I'm not this picture of my, like that I have in my head. If I don't meet that, those requirements in my head, I'm no one, I'm nobody. And then I would have the need for other guys to respect me. And the question is like, why? Because I have very important people, quote unquote, respect me and tell me, hey, Edward, like, I love your stuff. It's the shit. And then it makes me happy for like 15 minutes. Then I need to prove myself again. That that would ruin me for like weeks on end because I would feel like the need to kind of, because I I would have the, the thought that there's like closed group of people you know like illuminati of production quote unquote i'm just yeah. joking right now but like the close group of producers but like they would be among themselves and everyone from the outside would have to prove them to be in the group you know what i mean yeah i know yeah. what you mean and there's, you. there's no fucking group of people like there's no close group of producers nothing i mean people know each other yes but there is no production illuminati in that sense because i know all like I know you, I know all of my producers that I look up to, I know them personally. There's no, no like secret group behind the doors at all. But I would have the, the no, thought no, in my head. That, that's what I mean. I would have the need to prove myself to them, which is completely bullshit because what's in there for me? Like it will not raise my confidence long-term at all. Like it makes you happy for 10 minutes and then it's gone. That's it. Yeah, well, but insecurity can be a real driver for work. Um, Hell yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you get serious work done and a lot of it is fueled by insecurity. I mean, when I look back at my whole career, if it weren't for insecurity, I may have never even decided early on that I need to stand out from everyone else and work harder than everybody else 
and be different and be noticed by everybody else. A lot of these decisions to go into music and to spend so much time every day making music was driven by insecurity. Um, and I don't regret it in the end. I mean, most, if you were a healthy kid, you might not need to uh, work so hard and stand out next to your friends. You just want to hang out with your friends and that would be enough for you. And I know a lot of, a lot of, I try to surround myself with healthy people as often as I can. And, and a lot of them just don't feel the need to slave over a song, you know, just to impress more people. Like, when does right. it end? Sometimes right. I wonder, even for myself, when does never, it end? Never, never. Yeah, it never ends. But, but it, it is the catalyst for a lot of great art that comes into this world. And a lot of my favorite artists, they have very painful stories. Uh, and so... You know, it's uh, is it healthy with a therapist? And you know, I've gone to a therapist, and and some some of the advice that I would get, I I was always very conflicted because it seemed to point me in the direction of being more stable, of being more balanced, but it didn't sound like I'd ever make a the 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 a, a really great piece of, of music by being so balanced. It wouldn't make I wouldn't grow up to be the hero that I saw when I was a kid, if I was just so balanced, I wouldn't feel this urge to work so hard and slave so hard over something, you know, hoping that I could make some beautiful contribution to the world of music, some important contribution. I'd probably just hang out with my friends, you know, and help ladies cross the street, help old ladies cross the street, you know? And that would probably be a better, more respectable life. I mean. You know, the life that we live is, is, it's almost hard to understand. We have this obsession with music and it's not very balanced. And I don't think in order to really stand out and succeed, I don't think a life of balance will cut it. It didn't cut it for me. It was, uh, it was just the opposite of balance. It was right. just all in on one thing. So, if, if that's your goal, though. Yes. Well, that, that was my goal. So, uh, yeah, for other people... You know, other people, when I think of producers, this is, this is definitely the case of producers, but when I think of someone, someone like a songwriter or, or a singer, you know, I used to work with Enrique Iglesias and when I, back when I was doing pop stuff, and his life was, seemed pretty chill. I mean, he had his wife, uh, Anna, tennis player. Yeah, and, uh, he was there. Yeah, and he, he was there in Miami, and he'd pop over the studio. It was me and two other guys. We, we were producing writing i was producing they were writing the whole album and and uh you know every day he'd pop in he'd say what he liked he would just you know he liked the music he liked and uh he would help us with some of the ideas and it was all a very casual process for him you know and and uh, it's not like me like i'm neurotic and a song is like this long process of trying every possible combination and very, uh, it's not very casual. And like the beginning is uh, energy based and, and creativity based. And this thing is really exciting. I found this one loop or the sound and oh, this is, I'm going to make a song around this. It's uh, exhilarating. But past that is a long process of editing. And, uh, and that really has nothing to do with creativity. And that's what you sign up for as a producer. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd say like, you know, 20% of it is creative and fun and 80% is, 
is mechanical. Yeah, once something becomes a job, it's a fucking job. Yeah, there's no way around it. I mean, you want a dope sounding song and a lot of work goes into it. Yeah, a lot of work, yeah. You know, I'm sure. Well, how long does it take you usually to finish an idea? Dude, like a good song, if I have the time, probably month. Tell me, it would just burn me out real quick. So right yeah. now, I don't even, I don't even push myself to that. Like if I don't feel it, I won't do it. I just, I just go with the, I'm an artist. I need inspiration route <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. So you'll take your time with something. I do take my time and I take it. I always tell my, to my clients like, Hey, I need that amount of time. And I charge that much for production. And it turns out good each and every time. Honestly, if I don't push myself too much, too hard, if I don't stress myself out, if I give my, myself the time to chill, to vibe it out, it always turns out very, very good. Huh, interesting. And, and do you have a, do you usually keep it pretty simple in your projects? Like when I think, like to me, that approach is nice in its simplicity. Like you feel it, so you're going to work on it. If you don't feel it, you'll step away. And uh, one, another thing that maybe accompanies that simplicity is only picking certain sounds. I always use the same two VSTs. I use Diva and Dejuno 106 by Roland. Always. I have like other stuff as well, like Omnisphere. Dejuno 106 is such a nightmare to look at. <laughs> you like that one? I like the sound of it. Yeah. It's so simple because it only has one oscillator and then one sub oscillator. That's it. And Does it let you do multiple? Huge. It lets you do multiple voices, right? Of the one oscillator. Yeah, yeah. The Roland one, you, you can't do polyphonic, of course. Yeah. yeah. The no, one, I mean, the Juno like one six has has originally six voices. That's why that's why it's called Juno one hundred six. Oh, really? Yeah, six voices originally. Um, wow. But, but the VST version can do as many as you want to. Yeah. And Diva as well. It's huge on a CPU, but it sounds gorgeous. Diva is a nightmare on the CPU. It's horrible. Even with the update right now, it's horrible on the CPU, but it just sounds very, very good. And then Repro I just use... Repro is also tough on the CPU. Definitely. Repro for the brass, very, very good. Uh, then the occasional Able Life racks that I collect over the years, like old school, like bass racks and stuff like this. It sounds very, very good. But I always try to stick to the, you know, the, the stock sound that I have. Yeah. Five, six different instruments and then same samples over again i try to focus more on the harmonies and the arrangement because that's where the actual fun lies and you know the arrangement and the harmonies for, for myself that's interesting so you almost sound like a band you have a drummer and you have a guitarist and you have a bass <laughs> definitely and you say well we can make any number of songs with just this band yep that's kind of like your take on it. It's just, it's, you don't need to introduce a saxophone and, and an orchestra and everything. You say, no, we've got the band. We just need to write the right song. Right. And people tell me, like, yo, dude, I'm real sick of your, like, like Juno string hits. Like, you use them all the time. Like, yeah, because they work. Like, they work each and every time perfectly. Interesting. <laughs> I, I'm the opposite. I collect sounds like a madman. And when it comes to my contact, here, let me... Uh, Dude, uh, you've got all the libraries. Oh, man. I, oh, I love using real instruments. In the, you don't specialize in like one particular sound. You're super versatile in terms of productions. Yeah, I, I, I do like to... Sometimes with each song, I sort of imagine 
a movie and there's some culture associated with that. And I try to make a song that's sort of a faithful uh, tribute to that culture or that, uh, like when, when I think of secrets, I think of secrets as, as like sort of an old, old timey, uh, you know, smoky room with the woman sitting on a piano singing. She's got like a fur, you know, coat on. Right. And uh, take you on a ride if you can keep a <laughs> secret. Oh, wow. And, uh, it, but mixed with EDM. So you do something fun with it. But that's, that's always been very fun for me to, uh, to take some piece of culture. And of course, Indian culture was huge for me and my heritage has been huge for me. Um, uh, but I, but it's not really just Indian culture that that's interesting. I, I find just all different cultures interesting. And, um, recently I've found Western, like old Western and America culture interesting because a lot of these old Western movies were funded by Italian guys. So you had composers like Ennio Marconi, uh, doing the scores and he did, uh, ecstasy of gold. You know that one? Yeah. Is, I can't even try pretend to sing it, but just a really memorable scores taking place in the Old West. So you had guitars like what I just played, but also Native American sounds uh, because when they came to America, I mean, these are, these are Native, it was a Native American's home. And so that's where you get the whistles and everything, you know, and, and so right. it's just such a, such a cool mix. I just love a cool mix of different cultures. I love that. Awesome. Do you turn off the analog shit on, on the wave stuff? The analog? Yes. Generally, I do. Where is the analog thing on the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I always forget about this one. That just gives you a little noise, right? Yeah, it does nothing. I always get some stamps and there's some, some noise in the background. I'm like, hey, you forgot to turn off the wave plug. It's there. Like, how do you know? I'm like, it's Hello? simple. It's always the noise thing on the wave stuff, on the SSL compressor, on the HDLA, and on the... Yeah, AP because... If you forget about that and then you do some really heavy limiting on the mass, yeah, yeah, it's gonna, gonna fuck up your stuff. Definitely. Right. Like if we put on X, uh, like if you look at your master, there's like a simple little yeah. like thing. Look at that. Yeah. 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 And just imagine you have four or five of these bad boys over your mix. Right. So you just have all this noise building up for what? Definitely. Yeah. What are some, who are some producers? that you look up to right now in terms of, you know, you know like sounds. Like new sounds, new guys. Well, in I'm general, a, I'm, I've been a fan of synthwave music recently and um, I don't really know who consistently kills it at that. I like, I like, uh, I've always been a bit, big fan of Porter stuff. Um, Porter Robinson. Medion mm -hmm. uh, for sure. And, yeah, of course. Uh, and I guess, I guess composers have been all kind of inspiring to me. Um, Hans, of course, Junkie XL, uh, Mick Gordon. These are all guys who just, um, I think, just, just are, are sort of interesting to see what you could really do with, with sound. And when you're not bound to... Um, when you're not bound to this structure of EDM or pop music, you know, right? To create to create emotions in a much more uh, less regulated way. Um, but 
Hey, speaking of, speaking of, uh, have you tried the plugin? The cash burn? Giving you a copy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love it. Yeah. What did you think of it? Did you, uh, now you're a purist. So if you said this isn't, you know, I want to use the analog emulation stuff. I'm, I would totally I'm, understand. I'm, I'm not a purist. I might look like I'm, I'm a very practical dude. Like if something works, I just use it. I, was, I use the sausage feather all the time. You do? Yeah, I do. I might look like a purist. That's like, hey, I'm very snobby. I'm only using the analog, the best analog. I'm only using the Acoustica audio stuff or the VU. No, not at all. I might look like it, but I just use whatever works for me. Um, and the Cashmere plugin has been very, very straightforward. I use it. Actually, I use it on all of my podcasts right now. So when I edit this, I will use it on uh, the vocal setting for the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, I use it all the time. That's awesome, man. That 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 means the world. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. How long have yeah. you been working on that? We were working. I was working on the idea of some sort of plugin for like two years, but one thing I ran into early on was that um, it's not as simple as saying, "Hey, I want EQ and I want compression," and you know, like you, some of those things you have to license. Um, if you want a good sounding compressor, you'd have to license the coding for one, uh, from somebody else who's right. already right. made a compression queue. And, and so after trying to work with one developer, I ended up working with the WA production guys because they had dumb plugins in the past, which, um, encompassed a lot of the functionality that I wanted to see in Cashmere essentials. Uh, so from that point, things started moving pretty steadily, but it still took about a year. And uh, in the beginning, it was a lot more simple. And as time went on, I realized that in order to make a plugin that I really respected and that I would use, it needed to have at least eight parameters. And it would have to have eight parameters for actually five different instrument categories. Um, even still, it's a, it's a simple plugin. I wouldn't ever try to compare it to like a more robust plugin like Neutron or Pro, you know, Pro-Q or things like this. But I think it's good for what it is. I'm, I'm happy with the end result. In the future, I have, I have plans that I'd really love to implement for updates. Like, we couldn't do this this time, but in the future, if you had it on your kick plugin, for instance, then when you had it on other things, like a synth, it already knew what your kick was. So it could devise some sort of sidechain and maybe even multi, multi-band sidechain so right. if you're putting kind of like a, like a like a dynamic EQ trigger of a sidechain, yeah, like that, and it would it would um, like one instance of the plugin would be communicating with the other one, and you see this sometimes, like with ProQ. Have you ever messed with this feature on ProQ that will show you the uh, spectrograph of your other instrument and let you compare it to this one you're working on now to see where they overlap? And how yeah. you can make yeah. space for that. There's a similar yeah. plugin that's yeah. called Trackspacer by Waste Factory. Oh, I love Trackspacer. Yeah, that, that shit is very similar to what you what you have in mind. Trackspacer is excellent. Yes. I mean it's it's exactly that functionality. The only difference with Trackspacer is that you have to route a signal into Trackspacer, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have to do the routing. So in this case, Ideally, the plugins would just already communicate with one another. So if you're using it on your kick and you're using it on your synth, then the kick could tell the synth to sidechain. And um, 
I think that there's just a lot you could do with that. Um, you could create space from one synth to another synth, but I want to keep the whole thing very simple. Um, so what, trying to see what power we could give people while keeping everything simple. I mean, the thing is when you're working on production, what you want to hear, you can usually explain very simply. I want this part to feel really wide while this lead stays in the middle and overall creates a full, uh, you know, a full powerful experience from the synths. Just talking about synths, right? We'll allocate the sides to these synths in the middle to this synth. And then we want to create some space using EQ. And in your head, having it be wide and still have mono compatibility, I mean, it's a very simple sentiment what you want. And you want it to fill out all the frequencies and for not, frequencies not to be masked. Right. So if you could, so to be able to tell that to a plugin and for it to do all of the complicated and, you know, knob twisting that is required to make sure that frequencies aren't masked, to make sure that something's, you know, but it, it, to put that under the hood of the plugin, but to make your input, what you desire as simple as turning some knobs, I think would just be amazing. And I don't think it's impossible, you know? Do you ever come up with little plugin ideas you think about? I would like to do a softer version of the Alesis 3630 compressor. And this is like the hallmark sound for, for the Daft Punk sound, because that's, really? what, they, that's what they use. across. What's, their... unique, what's unique about it? Uh, the sidechain compression. The thing is, if you place it across your master bus, it's usually, I have it right in front of me. It's a $100 compressor hardware thing. It's very, very cheap. Like it's plastic yeah. sounding. But if you put it on, on the master bus and you drive the kick really hard into it, everything else in the mix is going to duck in relation to the kick. And you get oh. like this, this sidechain sound, which is not volume pumping like you do it usually with like LFO tool with a compressor enabled live. It's like the kick is being uh, the driving force in the track and everything else is kind of ducking to the kick because it's, the compressor is over pumping. Right. So I know. Like, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, the whole homework so, sound of the, of the Discovery album or like the homework album. And the Justice sound is made like this as well. Interesting. So they're just turning their kick up way loud. Way loud. So everything else is kind of ducks. Yeah. Because the well, compressor is over pumping. I think to your brain, that's what we like about sidechain is because it feels like the kick is so powerful that it's pushing everything out of the way. Right. That's, that's the intended effect of it. So that's just a much more organic way of accomplishing the same. Right. Thing. And it has like a, like a distinct sound to it because it lacks a little bit of, of the very low, heavy low end. Yeah. But it has like nice forward mid-range push, kind of like you put ODT on something and we, yeah. we all use ODT. It has like this very huge mid mid range push, and it yeah. sounds very distinct, like the Medion sound, the Lemaitre sound, it's yeah. over over compressed, over the top mid range forward push, lots of OTT as well, and then we'll learn something new every day. Maybe I'll <laughs> give it a shot at something. Yeah, that, that that's what I want to do in a VST form. Kind of maybe maybe link up with the Acoustica guy, sample my. Elisa's and then bring it out under my name. That would be the, the best thing. I, I guess I can nail it. That's, so that's, how, that's yeah. how do they do that? They, they, you give them some, you give them like a sine wave or something and you show how the sine wave changes at different parameters. They have their own, they have their own process. Like I, I witnessed the creation process of one of the plugins last year in Berlin. 
And they basically, yeah. they, sam- they call it sampling. And it's like an impulse response thing, similar to when you do reverbs, impulse responses. Very similar yeah. to that. But I do that with um, compressors as well. But it actually, it takes some weeks and months to sample one, one device. So they just sit there and just do samplings on, of each and very little setting of, of each and every hardware device. Kind of to take snapshots and they combine those. Kind of like if you do like the, the one picture of another picture and then you do a film out of multiple pictures and then it just runs. Sure. Like, like a cartoon. That, that's what it's Right. And no, then, I, I, no, I get, I, I definitely get the concept of it. Um, I don't know exactly. Yeah. I don't know exactly. They have lots of devices like measuring things. I don't know the exact process. Um, yeah. It's very, elaborate. I imagine they run some sort of sound that they've, that they use as like a, a sort yeah, of, yeah, they do sweeps, right. And then just get the impulse response and depending on like what changes with harmonical changes on the sound. Oh, interesting. They'll do a sweep. Okay. Right. I see. Right. It's like a sine wave sweeping down the pipe. Yeah. And they have they also have their own engine for that, you know, to prevent like aliasing, to prevent crossover uh phasing issues with filters and that stuff. Um they're like it's called core something, like right now it's a core fifteen, I guess. So with each and every core, they kinda of improve the sound in terms of anti-aliasing and like oversampling and that shit. And also kinda of Try to reduce the CPU load as well because that's the biggest thing with their plugins. The CPU load is very, very substantial. Yeah. But the sound, like if that that's the purest thing. If you want to go for like the analog sound in terms of how close it sounds to the hardware, because it is a snapshot of the actual hardware. It sounds exactly like the compressor that you sampled because it's only the snapshot of that compressor in software form. Right. And the CPU right. is is big still up God, to this day yeah I, th- I think they get pretty close i uh i've never been one to just co- collect all the the nicest compressors i i i just i don't care i'm very results oriented yeah know? that's what it, that's what i mean your your plugin represents that as well because your production approach is very intuitive like you know the sound that you want to achieve in your head and then just go for it regardless of the tools. You just go for for the end result. Yeah, exactly. Like I have been producing now for, geez, fucking 18 years or something, learning all kinds of compressors and, you know, from the wave stuff to whatever fucking Reason had when I was using Reason and everything. It's just, it never interested me too much. Um the subtle differences, it was always about, okay, how do I get this vocal sitting right in the mix? How do I get this sitting right in the mix? It's always the overall picture that, uh, you know, I was almost, I would almost fly through it. I would, I would then mix it at the end more, mix it better and be more precise and surgical. But in the process of, you know, in the creative, uh, stage, just really throwing stuff. I need a little EQ, throw a little EQ on fuck it, you know, um, yeah. So yeah, and I think, I think you know, getting that's songs that's that's done, the right approach. I feel like I'm convinced yeah. after those. For myself, after years of producing, that is the right approach because people who focus too much on like, oh, I need this new plugin, oh, I need to nail the ultimate analog sound, they end up in this what I call circle jerk of you know nailing the analog sound or whatever, and they right. never finish songs or they never 
nail the, the production part, the arranging part, the sound design part. They just focus on it like, I need the best sounding limiter. I need the best mastering chain. I need the best right. mixing plugin. And they just, just, you know, they just masturbate, quote unquote, mentally over this kind of stuff instead of focusing on what's really making a song, and that is arrangement, the initial idea, and just, just the hookiness, the catchiness of the song. Agreed, 100%. I, I think, we, like, I catch myself even uh, sometimes now on a day where I'm doing a lot of little, you know, changing the compressor, changing, you know, little small settings, and I realize that I'm being sort of lazy. Like, I'm not really tackling the bigger aspects of the song. I only have the first uh, breakdown and, you know, a build up and the drop doesn't right. sound great yet. No, let me and focus for an hour here. on EQ and then... Right, because it feels like I'm accomplishing something that's, you know, like incrementally better rather than tackling the bigger uh, question. You know, like oftentimes the sooner you can get through an idea and create a decent sketch, you could evaluate if it's even really that great, you know, and, 100%. you know, like it, instead of getting stuck on one song to be in, be, to be in a good rhythm of finishing good sketches and, and then deciding what really should be completed. Uh, Cause it's that good, you know, is, is a better approach. I, I think. Let's talk about Dharma studio. So Dharma studio was an important component of Dharma as a record label to me. Uh, starting a record label, I was really excited to put out music from other people, especially collaborations people had sent to me that I didn't think were right for Kashmir, but I wanted to help them. I wanted to give them some platform to put their songs out. So that was the first principal focus of Dharma. But then to keep it really at the core of what I love about music, I wanted to create a website where you could learn and dissect all of the songs that came out on Dharma, a website that would be a huge resource to producers. Um, the producer community is the one that I feel most a part of, more than the DJ community. I really feel like a producer, first and foremost, and it's a community that I want to engage with, and I think is a very lively community, and they're always looking for new ways to learn, new resources. So to create a website that would have lessons for me, lessons from other people, I thought was uh, just would be such a cool, unique component to Dharma as a label. I think some other labels do. I think Monster Cat does a little bit of that. And, and I think it's, it's such a great way to let in listeners and also people who might not even care about the Dharma songs. Maybe they're not, it's just not their kind of music, but they still want to come to learn. And you know, I, I love the next, next to making music. I love to talk about making music and I love to explore the whole process of making music. And so, yeah, it, it felt like a no brainer really to create a website that would give people samples. It would give people tutorials, templates, everything that you find on the website. And I think we give it to people for a pretty good deal. And I mean, it's, it's 10 bucks a month. And that just barely keeps the lights running in terms of creating new content and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's just a really important aspect. Uh, you know, if I was going to make a label, I'd want to make it bigger than just putting out music. That, that was the idea. Yeah, definitely. Creating like a platform that goes beyond only quote-unquote releasing music, it's a good thing. Especially you're if, always if you telling people, You're always telling people here's a new song, download it, buy it, you know, listen to it, blah, blah, blah. You always tell them, and it's always, 
it's always good to offer people just as much as you're asking them, asking from them, you know. But I think with, there's a lot of stuff on the side is free as well. So I just wanted to make sure we're in the habit of offering a lot of value and not just always asking for people to buy shit, you know. So right. that was the idea, man. Of course, you've been a contributor to it and, and your shit is just super fucking dope. So we got to do more of that. Yeah, definitely. Well, there there's enough stuff for now. Like I got two templates and one one sample thing. Yeah. It's gonna be split into three different ones, so that's gonna be dope. Awesome. There's more coming up, and then I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, I wish you all the success with the website because it's not it's not easy to establish yourself in that regard. Even if you have your Kashmir name and the Dharma, um, no, it's not as easy to compete. Not to compete because competition. It's not, it's not applicable here, but kind of establish yourself, kind of carve out your niche. Yeah. No, uh, it's, it's not easy. And thankfully, I think that, you know, I've made my buzz in the producer community, you know, with the sample packs and, and they, I think I've created a name in that world. Um, so that's helped and that's been really important to me. So I want to just keep on doing everything that I can with the producer community. and. Um, and yeah, I feel like now it's probably at the point where some people are going to be annoyed with me, you know, <laughs> they hear, they don't like hearing all the samples everywhere. And uh, so I'll deal with that. And they still use it. I still see projects all the time. There's like, there, there will be the occasional cashmere snare, like the build up always, all the fucking time. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be a success. Well, thank you, man. I, well, I appreciate it. It's good spending this time. Thanks for staying up so late. No problem. And yeah, thanks a lot. I wish you lots of success. Dharma Worldwide, one word. That's the website. I put it also in the description so you can check it out. And then, yeah, much success to you, homie. Thank you. Thanks, you too, brother. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. All right, fam. Bye. All right, right, fam. Thanks a lot for listening. I really, really appreciate y'all. DharmaWorldwide.com is the website you should be hitting up right now if you want to grab one of the excellent sample packs or if you want to grab my project song solder for able life where you can see how i produced a future funky sample based project that's kind of sounding like me how i arrange things how i connect different things and yeah if you're interested in that you might grab it or not again i highly appreciate your listening and i'll see you next week with the motherfucking steven slate we had a great session two or three days ago and yeah lots of cool content in there so i'll see you next week bye bye